From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, good morning, Parkway. We are excited to bring the word to you this morning. We want to bring you an understanding of God's redemptive hand at work from creation to Christ through scripture, what God does in motherhood. And today, I get to have my very own mother with me. Happy Mother's Day. This is Erica Lazarakis. What you may not know about her is that she has a certificate in spiritual formation from my alma mater at Moody Bible Institute. She's currently pursuing a master's certificate in biblical care and counseling from Heritage Seminary. She served as a children's pastor locally and has served our family faithfully over the years with endless hugs, amazing food, and terrible, terrible jokes. So give her a warm welcome. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Well, one of the things that I love about God's Word is how it allows me to see situations and people that with all the time in, that separates us, we're still so similar. And then I'm offered a new perspective that points me toward Christ. Today we're going to be discussing some of the mothers of the Bible. But I want you to know, even though we are discussing moms, there are takeaways for everybody in this room. For myself, as somebody who's not a mother yet, soon, but you need to chill and wait. Okay. Um, <laughs> for many others of you here, today might be a look at those whose lives are very different from yours. But during our study for this message, it's honestly blessed me a lot to see the theology of motherhood and also to see the good and the bad of the women in scripture that we're going to look at today in comparison to the mothering that I received from my own mom. Well, we're going to get started and I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, on a day like Mother's Day, as we've said, there are so many different emotions that we bring to you. Some of us bring gratitude and joy for moms who have loved and cared for us well. Others are sad. Relationships with mom haven't been easy or good, or maybe there was no mom at all. Still others walk today through heavy season of parenting. Father, would you meet us in our pain? Heal our hearts where they're wounded. Soften them where they're hard. And help us to forgive those who have hurt us as you forgive us. Father, some of us long to be mom, but haven't been able to be. Father, would you comfort us in our sadness? Help us to trust you despite unfulfilled longings. Give us joy in knowing that you never stop loving us. Never stop having our best in mind. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. As we were sitting down to prepare to bring the word to you this morning, we had a common vision come up and reoccur that we wanted everyone, every single person in this room to be included in this message. Yeah, that's right. So nobody in this room, like we've said, nobody is excluded. Even those without kids or those who are single? Yeah, all of us can connect. We can all connect with disappointment with having made a mistake, with a broken relationship, with having hurt someone or having been hurt by somebody who was supposed to care for us. All of us have or have had a mother, whatever that relationship might look like to you, and finding hope and healing in God's gospel message that's woven into motherhood throughout scripture, I believe is a gift that can keep on giving every single day of the year. Amen? Yeah. So since Mother's Day isn't happy for anybody, everybody, how will we approach it? We thought about just ignoring it all together so that we could avoid touching a raw nerve for some people. But and then no. we... No, no, no. <laughs> and we also thought about, well, celebrating anyway and just overlooking the unhappy side. Also, no. No. So then we asked ourselves a deeper question. Should we be surprised that we find both joy and pain in motherhood? Or in being mothered, even the most wonderful mother can make mistakes, and even the most wonderful child can make mistakes. I certainly have. Um, If you have your Bible, turn or scroll in the modern world to Genesis 3. I've got Genesis 3.16 for you this morning. I'll read it for you as you get there. God pronounced the consequences of rebellion to our first parents in the garden. To Eve, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Genesis 3.16. Well, in my experience, that pain, that childbirth pain, has reached far past the event. Awesome. Um, That's just awesome. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I guess what I'm trying to say is, I wonder if that verse, that curse might embrace everything included in childbearing or not childbearing, things like miscarriage and infertility or uh, even tonsillitis and the terrible twos. Um, Pain in childbearing includes wayward kids, rebellious kids. But the, the truth is, the crux is that our first parents made a mistake that has had a devastating effect on all of us. The thing is, is that they believed that they deserved more than what God had given them. The serpent tempted them. They were deceived by the serpent. And Genesis 3.5 tells us that Adam and Eve then wanted to be like God. And the consequences of their sin were contagious. And the first people infected were their own children, Cain and Abel. And here we have the first dysfunctional family ever. Who can relate? Anyone? Yeah, Yeah, hands. I love the, yeah. Yeah, that's right. 
Cain grew up and murdered his brother. But Eve ended up losing both of them because Cain's punishment was exile. And yet, you know, as we studied Eve, I found myself thinking how overwhelmed she must have been. How many times she must have done what I do, wondered what she could have done differently. How might things have been different if only, if only I had mothered those boys differently? If only, if only. Have you ever if only Eve didn't know it at the time. We do. There are no perfect parents. There are no perfect kids. And I know I'm a lot like Eve myself, more than I care to admit. I wanted to be enough for the people I love. I wanted to be able to guarantee they'd always be happy and safe. The truth is, though, I can't. The people we care about including our kids, are going to walk through storms in their lives. Many storms. And they need to hear how the gospel applies to them in those storms, in their lives, right now, today. And honestly, with the kids that I minister to every week, if the gospel is not practical and highly applicable, they don't want it. They don't need it. But it is. And we have it. Yeah. Yeah, we, we can't point our kids or anybody else to Jesus, though, if we aren't finding our hope and our rest in him. Eve didn't want to find her fulfillment in God. Eve wanted to be God. And she didn't just do that in a vacuum. She did that in front of her family, who were watching. My kids were watching me, so I identify with Eve. But it is such good news for me. It was good news for Eve. It's good news for all of us that the story doesn't end there. My failures as a mom, as a wife, as a friend don't have to prevent me from pointing people to a God who never makes mistakes, who is always perfect and faithful. Eve's mistake had disastrous consequences. We all live with those consequences. But God still used Eve for good. God's plans cannot be thwarted. Amen. And his plan was to bless Eve and Adam with a third child, Seth. And it was through the descendants of Seth that our Redeemer would come. Have you ever felt like you blew it big time? Or maybe like you've just blown it one time too many for God to be able to use you? I bet Eve did too. So that is really good news for all of us today. God's love isn't based on how great we are. God's love is based on how great he is. God never gives up on us. He never leaves us. He's always there and faithful. God 
I see through the mistakes of Eve, I can learn God is good and great enough for me to put my, all my faith in him. He's enough for me. He's enough for my children. He's enough for all of us. And that's the perfect segue into our next Bible mom, is Sarah. As we said previously, we're going to walk through Scripture this morning to visit some Bible moms along the way and what their lives have taught us. So if you're following along in Scripture, head over to Genesis 16, um, and we're going to learn about Sarah. But the very first thing we learn about her is actually in Genesis 11. The very first thing we learn is that she is unable to conceive a child. And I think it's interesting that it's the first thing we learn as if it's the most important thing about her. But I can imagine that that is what the pain of infertility really feels like. Like that wanting of what you should be able to have becomes your entire story. Yeah. In Sarah's case, God had promised to give a baby. But she felt that very human temptation to run ahead of God. She wanted to make something happen now. And I think now today in our Instagram culture of being constantly bombarded by everybody else's highlights in life and being hung up on on what we don't have, don't have yet, or want so, so, so bad, we see that over the value of our personal journey with God and his gentle guiding voice through scripture that we can have. And in this culture too, we want what we want, but we want it now, right? If I want it, I just go get it. Or I think about it all the time and put it on my Pinterest page. That could be, that could be anything. That could be having a child. That could be finding your knight in shining armor for some of you. That could be finding the job that you love, your dream job or your dream house, the right figure, the right furniture. But I don't want to ignore the pain of wanting something good that you should be able to have. For someone this morning, it might not be a baby, but it might be that you've lost a loved one or you've lost a relationship with somebody that you should be able to have, but it's just not happening and it might not ever happen. Whenever the dreams that we have for our lives are dashed, the enemy steps in. He wants to drive the stake deeper. And it makes us question. He wants to make us question God's goodness. If I'm not having this thing I want so badly, is God really good? Whenever any dream dies, it can be so tempting to get angry at God for withholding what we think is withholding a blessing. And that loss can only be heightened and highlighted by a special holiday about the loss that you're having that spotlights who or what is missing from your life. Yeah, for sure. I experienced Mother's Day so differently since my mom died. There's a real ache. I couldn't, couldn't make a call to grandma this morning, you know? It's a hard day. 
And because every relationship has two people in it, every relationship has ups and it has downs. It has good and it has bad. But something that many of these women in scripture have in common with each other and with us are these long seasons of waiting on God to answer their prayers. I can imagine Sarah crying out, why God will you not answer this prayer? Why will you not do this one simple thing? Why not me? You do it so much for so many, so easily. Why not me? And waiting is an easy time to fall into despair for anyone. I, I honestly have. But if we can look to him in the waiting, if we can draw near to him in the waiting, we will find that he is always, always near. Honestly, I think waiting could be the hardest lesson that God has for us. And I have to remember, he has already given us, he's already given me his very best gift, his beloved son. But will I believe, will I believe that Jesus is really enough? Will I believe that? For the place that longs for a child, maybe, or that mourns the loss of a loved one, or the death of a dream. It doesn't always feel true that God is enough, but it is. It is. Jesus loves me. This I know. Personally, the greatest Bible truth that I have been blessed by through the study of these women's stories is that God sees us in the midst of our distress. God sees us. He sees you. And Hagar is our next mother, and she's the perfect example of this. She's in the same story as Sarah, if you're not sure. But can you give us a quick biography on her? I would love to do that. So Hagar was an Egyptian. She was a slave. She was Sarah's servant and probably or possibly given to Abraham by Pharaoh as a gift. As years passed and Sarah failed to conceive, she did something that seems maybe a little bit weird to us in our time, but something that was a completely common and acceptable option in those days. She gave her servant Hagar to Abraham so that she might conceive a child by surrogacy for them. But once Hagar was pregnant, things got complicated. Hagar treated her, her mistress with contempt, and so Sarah threw her out. In Hagar's journey, she experiences homelessness, and eventually she's abandoned by her child's father, which in that day, that was all the protection and provision that she could ever have needed. And I don't think it's a long shot to expect that she was experiencing deep fear and loneliness as she wandered the wilderness. And it's in this moment that God sees her. Uh, in Genesis 16, 13, if you want to look there, it says, so she called on the name of the Lord. She prayed. She said, you are a God of seeing. Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. 
this pagan slave girl became the first person in the Bible to call God by his name. Hallelujah. Honestly, it's amazing. Yeah, God doesn't just see people in the Bible. God sees us today. And when God sees us, it means more than just being looked at or observed. To be seen by God is to be known, to be valued and given dignity as someone bearing the imprint, the, the very image of our creator. Hagar had never truly been seen by another person. She was a slave girl. Her enslavers saw her as the spoils of conflict. Abram and Sarah saw her as a womb, an incubator for a child. But God saw her, and he heard her in her distress, and he knew her. He understood her and her story, and he spoke directly to her deepest and greatest fears by providing for the needs of her child, giving them a hope and a future. There in the desert, God opened her eyes to see that she was sitting right next to a deep, refreshing, living water well. Maybe you've seen a modern-day Hagar. Maybe in the back of the parking lot at Walmart, there's kind of a beat-up car, and there's a single mom in there, and her kids piled up under some coats. That's Hagar. That's Hagar, and God sees that woman, and he loves her, and God sees you too. God is deeply concerned about what has happened to you and what will happen to you, and he knows the burdens you carry. Like Hagar, your circumstances might look bleak sometimes, but through Jesus, you can discover that you are seated right next to the bottomless well of living water that he is. Call out to him in prayer. He invites you to drink deeply of him, to trust him, to trust him with your family and your future and to provide for you. And I think it's important to let you know and remind you that our Father God doesn't just see his big kids. He sees his little kids too. He sees the little children at school playing Foursquare and dodgeball, skipping rope, and he sees the ones in tough situations. In this encounter with Hagar, God reminded her that he had plans for the son that she carried, Ishmael. God, our father, cares for children, ones that are separated from parents by divorce or trauma, separated by death or incarceration, anything, anything. God is a loving father, right? And he keeps close, personal watch on each and every one of our children. And he's not distant. He's up close and personal to fatherless children. Jesus became fatherless himself on a cross. He knew abandonment to a degree that we will never understand. He set aside willingly his mighty power and he took on our vulnerability. He exposed himself to abuse 
rejection, torture. Our sin was heaped on him. And he was forsaken by his Father in heaven. And he did this for us. He rescued us. He rescued us. And he lives even now. The endless well of living water for us and our children. He sees us. He sees you. Yeah, I am, I'm just loving the honesty of the Bible. It paints portraits of life that are completely unvarnished, real. <laughs> Other than Jesus, there are no perfect people in the Bible, only flawed, imperfect people. And guess what? Flawed, imperfect people have flawed, imperfect relationships. So our next mom is Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca in Genesis are textbook examples of what it means to be flawed. This mom and dad each chose a favorite among their twin boys, Jacob and Esau. If you've got siblings, you may know what it feels like to live in a family with favorites. And the word is yucky. Um, it hurts. It hurts to feel overlooked or rejected. It hurts to feel passed over. And favoritism leads to other problems like jealousy, rivalry. In this family, Isaac preferred his son Esau. Esau was a hunter, a man of the fields. And I kind of picture like a man's man. He's outdoorsy. Maybe he's got a, bra a Bass Pro Cap, you know, and a taste for wild game. Like, that's Esau. But Jacob was someone different. He was more of a mama's boy. He was a homebody. Genesis chapter 25 says, Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Verse 28 says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. So yeah, maybe you've experienced that pain firsthand, or maybe you have one of your children on a pedestal up over the other. Either way, favoritism hurts families. Absolutely. And those hurts can follow us right into adulthood. God had already foretold that Jacob would grow up to rule over his elder brother, Esau. But instead of trusting God with the details, Rebekah hatches this elaborate plan to trick Isaac into choosing Jacob as his heir. When the deception is discovered, the fireworks really start flying and the family is just torn apart. Jacob ends up running for his life, and the brothers never, ever reconcile. And Rebecca's conniving secured the blessing for Jacob, but at what cost? Her family was torn apart. Yeah. yeah, There are a lot of lessons that we can take from this story. And I love that God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't love you more than me. No. He doesn't love Pastor Call more than me. He doesn't love Billy Graham more than any of you, right? No, yeah. 
Favorites can cause tempers to flare and relationships to fracture. Favoritism divides. Not just in families either, but that is not God's way. God's love expands. Doesn't matter how many children join God's family, there is perfect love for each and every one of them. It brings glory to God's name to have a growing family, a growing kingdom. And the truth is he loves us more than we will ever be able to love him in return. We're made in his image. We're image bearers. So our capacity to love, it is expansive too. It starts with your family, moves on to your friends, and then so on, and bigger and bigger and bigger. Outward, love doesn't just grow wide in God's economy. It runs high and long and deep. We've come to our last and most famous Bible mom. Can anybody guess? Mary. Mary. That's Good right. job, Logan. They're so I see smart. You. Yeah. As a teenager, Mary has a supernatural encounter that turns her life upside down. An angel tells her that she'll soon be pregnant with God's son, the long-awaited Messiah. She'll be an unwed mother in a time and culture where that could spell being ostracized or stoned to death in the streets. And Mary's incredibly faithful, immediate response is beautiful. In Luke 1, verse 38, she prayed, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Without question, she says, yes. Let it be so. So humble. Mary, humble Mary accepted her role as the mother of Jesus. But in that moment, she had absolutely no idea how much parenting the Son of God would cost her heart. In Luke 2, a man named Simeon had a prophetic word for the life mission of her baby boy. But he had a word for Mary, too. He said, a sword will pierce your heart. As Jesus grew up, Mary held all these things in her heart, pondering what the future would hold for her son. And then one day, Mary felt a mother's pain watching her son become her savior. As his mom, she identified with his arrest and death in a way that none of us can. God's word tells us that identifying with Jesus will be painful, but Mary's pain watching her son die was appalling. And what can you say to anyone in a season of loss like that? Mm -hmm. Really? What can you say? What does God say? God knew. He has always known the grief that we'll taste in life. And he is our father after all. He knows firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He does. Our brokenness 
has broken God's heart for millennia. I mean, just think about Jesus, his tears as he wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. God does not forget us in our pain and our loss. And Jesus is living proof. I think that's the message that God has for all of us this Mother's Day. God sees us. God is not far off. He has entered into the ugly and hard places with us. He knows our temptations. He knows my weaknesses, my mistakes, how prone I am to disobedience, to stubbornness and rebellion. And yet, he looks at us with love and compassion. He invites you to draw near to him. Give him your mistakes. Give him your broken dreams. He wants to comfort us and to allow us to draw on his strength. He wants to bring you salvation and the hope of heaven if you haven't yet received Christ as Lord. Come to him this morning, weary friend. Come and find a rest. I can tell you from my own experience that nothing you're facing and nothing you've ever done will make him turn away from you. He stands this morning and his look upon you is one of deep love. Look and see, his arms are open wide. Come, come to him. I want to invite up the worship team and the prayer team as well. As a church, it is our heart that all who enter the doors here would experience the transform life that Christ can give you, that Jesus could change you. If you have been a mother or have been mothered, then you can identify with any of these stories. The gospel, and just God invites you into a deep, deep, fun, beautiful, exciting, comforting relationship with him. Yes, these Bible moms' lives have been riddled with pain. But if you have blood in your veins and lungs that are breathing, you have had some of that too. And in the midst of that, is God not faithful to you? Has he not provided fun and comfort and joy in the middle of it all? Together we saw amidst the pain in these stories that God's promises are evident in the journey, right? What I want you to notice in their stories, every single one is that they encounter God through prayer. The practice of prayer in our lives draws us close to him. Prayer is the door to a relationship with him. If you don't have that relationship with him, that is the first step you take. You reach out to him. Prayer is just a conversation, and we use a funny religious word. Who knows why? But that is how you reach out to him. The practice of prayer in our lives draws us close to him. 
if something that we spoke on or touched on this morning touched you, softened you, made you well up, that is God reaching out to you. That is him saying, hey, do you hear me yet? I'm calling out to you. I want to encourage you that prayer is a path to experience the peace and promises of God in the good, in the bad, in the hard, in the great, in the fun. Prayer is just communication with him. And we want to invite you this morning. We have a prayer team. And if you feel a prompting in your heart at all, any, any form of, I want that, but I'm nervous, anything, that you need prayer just because today could be hard for you. Or it's your first Mother's Day. We have a woman in here today who, it's her first Mother's Day ever. And you want your child to be prayed over. We have a prayer team at the front. We want you to come up and receive prayer during the song, after the song. Stay till 3 p.m. I'll be here. We want to pray over you. We want you to experience that first step to see Jesus and his faithfulness and his goodness in your life. He has that for you. He died so you could have that. Right? Thank you, Seth. I see those thumbs up. I love that. He loves you. His arms are open wide. And as his people, we stand here as a church at Parkway. And our arms are open wide to you. And we want to pray with you and love on you this morning. Whatever Mother's Day means to you, I want to pray with you this morning. Let's worship. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.